I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, and as we're turning there, I want to greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and ask you again to lift up your hearts and to exalt him, to think of the great Savior who saved you, the one who loved your soul so much that he gave himself for you on Calvary. I always want to greet you in that way. I want your hearts to be lifted. I want you to think of the greatness of your salvation, and I never want you to lose sight of that. And what I want to ask you to do today as we go to this 12th chapter in the, in the book of uh, Hebrews, I want, you to take a, I want you to consider with me again on this last Lord's Day of 2023, the past year that we've come through. Uh, for many of us, it's been a challenging year. Uh, we might even say that as we've looked not only internationally, we've seen all kinds of things going on. Uh, maybe personally in your own life, there have been very, very difficult times. But what I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is that no matter what this world may present to you, no matter how changing the times or circumstances that we live in, I want you as the people of God to know and to be aware that as you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are members of an unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be moved. And while the world at large seems to be crumbling, and maybe even in your own personal experience, there are things that are very, very unsettling. I want you to hear from the word of God that by the grace of Jesus Christ, you have been made members of an unshakable kingdom. And I want to present that here to you today. We're going to consider again, the, 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 really the, the main point that I want to develop is the following, that in shaking times, in times where everything seems to be going haywire, I want you to be convinced of the fact that you, through faith in Jesus Christ, have entered into that unshakable kingdom. The world may crumble, things may change, but you, through faith in Jesus Christ, belong to an unshakable kingdom. That is a great confidence builder. That is a great uh, source of assurance for the believer as he not only looks back on a past year, but as he or she gets ready to look forward to a coming year. Who knows what 2024 will have for us? We say that in every new year. We don't know what the year holds. But we do know this, that for those who belong to that unshakable kingdom, God is with them. Christ is for them. They have, again, the Spirit of God empowering them. So many things, again, give to us these great, uh, these, this great sense of assurance then. So again, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading from verse 18. Uh, this uh, 12th chapter really is uh, uh, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews is beginning to, uh, to make application of, the, uh, of, this, uh, of this book. Uh, many of you might know that this uh, book of Hebrews is considered by many to be a sermon. Uh, and what we're seeing as we come to this 12th chapter is now really the application of that sermon. And in this uh, 12th chapter, we have much by way of exhortation, we have much by way of warning, we have much by way of encouragement. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in verse 18 and read down to the end of the chapter, and then we will focus on the reality that for those who live in shaking times, the believer is part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Well, again, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 and following. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that, and that burn with fire, nor unto the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which they heard, entreated that the word should not be spoken unto them any more. For they could not endure that which which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Sion 
and unto the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the assembly, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the and to God, the judge of all, and to the and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh of better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shirk, shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things which are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, as I said before, I want to set before you again really the essence of, of what we see there in verse 28, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, this, this truth, this fact, that you and I belong to this unmovable kingdom. Yes, we live in a shaking world, do we not? We live in a world that we see all kind of a changes almost continually. Again, we talk about the 24-hour the news cycle. Something new is happening all the time. There's some disturbance going on somewhere in the world, it seems like. Our own personal lives are often that way as well. We wake up and again, news hits us that we didn't expect. Circumstances come upon us that really shake us to our core. But you need to hear this promise of God, this word of scripture, that for you who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have come into his kingdom, you are part, you are members, you are citizens of an unshakable kingdom. And so what I want to do here this morning from this passage of scripture, I want to show you three things that are in this passage concerning this unshakable kingdom. Number one, I want to consider with you what are shaking times? What are these shaking times uh, that the scripture speaks of here? This idea that God speaks and, and things are shaken. We want to take a look at what constitute shaking times. The second thing we want to take a look at is what is the nature of this unshakable kingdom? What is the nature of this unshakable kingdom? We're going to see again from this 12th chapter, there are at least three uh, characteristics of this unshakable kingdom we'll consider them and then the last thing I want to do and this is probably the most important thing that we're going to consider we will consider the activity of those who are in that unshakable kingdom and let me just point ahead to that very quickly here notice again verse 28 which is really the verse that we're going to be developing here notice verse 28 wherefore we receiving receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve god acceptably with reverence and godly fear what is the activity of those who are in that unshakable kingdom it is that they might serve god with reverence and godly fear in this word for serve god in the king james in our newer translations it conveys the idea of that we might worship god with reverence and godly fear and I want you to see and understand that you're being in this unshakable kingdom, that the activity of that kingdom is the worship of God. And as we close out this year of 2023, and as we look forward to this coming year, my great challenge to each and every one of us is this, that we would prioritize the worship of God as that mark that we belong to an unshakable kingdom. 
There are many things that are going to happen in, the, in this coming year that are going to shake us and make us think that maybe we don't have time for the worship of God. There are going to be things that happen in our own personal life to say, well, we're too busy, again, to attend upon the worship of God. But I want you to see from this passage of Scripture that the great thrust, the great activity of being part of this unshakable kingdom is that we worship this living God. And so, again, we'll take a look at each of these things here this morning. Well, the first thing I want you to consider with me then, or I want to consider with you, is what are these shaking times? What is the nature of these shaking times? We might say this about shaking times, is that shaking times are really any, any one of those times in human history uh, when God in some special way makes himself known, either by way of blessing or by way of judgment. And the reason why I say that God makes himself known either by way of blessing or by way of judgment is because there have been times when God has shook this world by way of blessing. Stop and think of what a great blessing, what a great shaking it was when on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God descended and the church of Jesus Christ was empowered. And there was that early church again. And what did they do? Again, according to the testimony of the book of Acts, they turned the world upside down. There was a shaking, we might say, for good. And so again, sometimes there are those events in human history where, where God is shaking this world to a, to a, towards a good end. Usually, however, when we talk about or when we think about this idea of the nations being shaken or God shaking the nations, it usually has to do with some element of God's judgment upon humanity and on the ways and on the systems of this world in order to establish his purposes and his kingdom. So when God shakes this world, he shakes it to, again, to show the weakness and the emptiness of these of this world system and to, the, and to establish the reality of his own kingdom. Kingdom. Let me give you some examples of how we see this. You know, it's kind of interesting that we, we see on the pages of Scripture in many times, in many places, these shakings that take place. There's a passage of Scripture in Ezekiel 21. I am going to ask you to turn here. Turn to Ezekiel, the 21st chapter. Ezekiel chapter 21. And, and in this passage of Scripture, uh, God is, uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, speaking to the nation of Judah as they are in their final days before they go into captivity in the Babylon. And what's happening here is that God, again, through the prophet, is showing that, uh, that Judah, and particularly the king of Judah, had sinned so seriously and so grievously that not only would Judah go into captivity, but that, the, but that the king Zedekiah, he would be deposed and even his line would be cut off. It is a severe form of judgment that is coming upon the nation. So in Ezekiel 21, if you're there, Ezekiel 21 verses 24 and 27 through 27, we read the following things. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have made your iniquity to be remembered, in that your transgressions are discovered, so that in all your doings your sins do appear, because I say that ye are come to remembrance, ye shall be taken with the hand. And thou profane and wicked prince of Israel. What a designation for this king Zedekiah. Thou profane and wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come when iniquity shall have an end. Thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem and take off the, the, take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. Now listen to verse 27. 
I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he who is who until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. Now, what I want you to see here is this. Here is Judah at the end of their history, getting ready to go into captivity in, in, in large part because of the sins of this man Zedekiah. Other sins as well, but this man Zedekiah had sinned, as I said before, grievously. And what God is doing now, God is bringing judgment, and he is, can I use the term, he is shaking the nations. And he is bringing Babylon to bring judgment upon Judah. And did you notice what God said there in verse 27? Again, some of your newer translations say, I will ruin, I will ruin, I will ruin it. But again, here in the King James, I will overturn. This is that shaking. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more. Now listen to this. Until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. What's that a reference to? That's a reference to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what I was saying just a moment ago, that oftentimes when God shakes, he shakes the kingdoms of this world to establish his own kingdom and to establish the kingdom of Christ. And so what I want you to know and understand that while we live in shaking times and while the world seems to be going haywire and while there are those individuals, you know, these, these men of the world, these, these mighty and powerful men who, who think that they can, can, can control everything. No, again, these men and all their plans will come to nothing and God's purposes will be established. I will, I, I, will, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, says the Lord, until he come whose right it is, and I will give it to him. As I said before, this is very specifically a reference to the, to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's another Old Testament passage of Scripture that parallels this. It's that great passage in, in, in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, that we often uh, think of uh, around Christmas time, uh, speaking uh, again about the, the scepter shall not depart uh, from Judah until Shiloh come. Again, this passage of Scripture and Genesis 49 are parallel in that regard. It's also interesting, again, just take your, uh, take your Bibles and turn back a little bit uh, to, the, uh, to the book of uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter uh, 52, verses 1 through 3. We have the same, uh, the same uh, king being referred to here, and here we have once again a designation of his wickedness, Isaiah, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 52, verses 1 through 3, and here again we see the wickedness of Zedekiah. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 52 verses 1 through 3 and again these two passages again are parallel uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 21 and, uh, and Jeremiah chapter 52 Zedekiah was 1 and 20 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Hamutel the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna and he did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done for through the anger of the Lord it came to pass in Jerusalem and in Judah till he had cast them out from his presence that Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Well, again, this is that this is it really describing the same time frame here. And what you have here is you have God shaking the kingdoms. Judah was being shaken. Babylon was being moved again to, to bring judgment upon uh, uh, Judah. Why? In order that God ultimately would set up his own kingdom, his own purposes by way of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we see these shaking times and these shaking of kingdoms. 
There's another uh, passage of scripture. I'll not ask you to turn there. You'll be familiar with it, though. There's another passage of scripture that speaks of these shaking kingdoms, and that's in Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. And in that passage of scripture, you might remember it, you have the, the, the dream of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And when Daniel interprets that dream, what does he say? He says that there is coming a kingdom that shall be superior to all all of this world's earthly kingdoms, and it shall destroy the kingdoms, and the kingdom of Christ shall be set up and established. Notice again, Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. And in those days, uh, and in those days, of these kings shall God, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron and the brass and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall excuse me, what shall come to pass hereafter. Excuse me. <clears throat> And the dream is certain and the interpretation of it, of it is sure. What's happening here? We're seeing that God shall establish the kingdom of Christ over all the kingdoms of the world. And he shakes the world to bring that about. And so again, men may think that they can, can control the course of world events. But I want you to know and understand that it is God who establishes kingdoms. It is God's kingdom in and through Christ that shall be that unshakable and unmovable kingdom. Now, why do I want you to know that? Why do I want you to understand that? Because we all know what, what, uh, what the news reports do to us. We see again, of, we see again wars, w- rumors of war. We hear of nations that are rising up against one another. We see again on the horizon great political changes. We think again, what's going to happen in the coming year, the next five years? But I want you to know, in spite of all the changes in this world, It's just a signal mark of God shaking the nations. And he is shaking the nations in order to establish his own kingdom, the kingdom of Christ on this earth. And so that's what we see happening uh, in this passage of scripture. And these are then, if I can say it this way, these are those shaking times. One of the other things that I would say, and I've already mentioned it, but I do want you to think about this because the application is the same here. That whether we see ourselves in these times of political shaking, international shaking, economic shaking, whatever it may be, or whether it be in your own personal life by way of personal shakings, I want you to know and understand that in those times when you seem to be rocked to the core, I want you to remember that you belong to an unshakable kingdom. And I'm going to show you again, as we, as we go forward, I'm going to show you what we are to do in this unshakable kingdom. Our focus is to be on God and on his great glory. So again, we'll consider that. So that's again, if I can say it this way, that is uh, the idea of the uh, of what shaking times are. It is interesting, again, that uh, this is uh, the emphasis that uh, is being made there in, in this 12th chapter of Hebrews. Look there at verse 27. It is God himself who does this shaking. Look at verse 27. And this word yet once more signifieth the removal of those things that are shaken as those things that are made and those things which, uh, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, this is interesting because this is a reference to another Old Testament passage of Scripture. This is a reference to to Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And in that passage of scripture, again, it's another one of the the great Christmas passages that uh, that are given to us in Old Testament prophecy. We have, again, God saying that the nations shall be shaken and that there will be a glory that goes to the temple, the second temple that was being built. And the glory that came to that temple was none other than the person of Christ himself. 
Christ was the greater glory in that second temple that the first temple did not know. And so again, this shaking, again, the writer of Hebrews is bringing this out to show that there is still coming another shaking. And that other shaking, yet future, is that shaking when God shall establish, as I said before, the kingdom of Christ on this earth in all of its glory. These points remind us then of what the Apostle Paul writes when the believer, as he, value, he or she evaluates life and and begins to make decisions and, and has to kind of direct their life. It reminds us what Paul said there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. And can I add? Will be shaken. But the things which are not seen are eternal and cannot be shaken. And so what we're seeing here, again, is a, is a way to frame our mind to, to engage not just this coming year, but to engage all of life. We are living again by those eternal principles given to us in the word of God. You, my brothers and sisters, are members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This world, as I said before, not only, is it, not only will it be shaken, we're going to see that it will be done away with. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Isn't it, isn't it, what? From, from the perspective of what we're seeing here today, wouldn't it be a foolish thing to, to direct our lives around that which is passing away? The world is passing away. How often times do we frame our lives on, on what seems to be right or appropriate in this world and in this day? How many times do we make temporal decisions, have priority over eternal decisions because we think things are necessary because it's the way things are it's, or, or it's what needs to be because of our circumstances. I'm saying to you, this world shall be shaken. The foundations of this world shall move and be shaken, but the, but the kingdom of God will be eternal and cannot be shaken. Make your decisions based on that eternal kingdom of which you are a part of. And so again, the world passes away in the lust thereof. Now, what's interesting is that the reason why the writer of the Hebrews is, is emphasizing this in this 12th chapter is because he was living in a day when many of his fellow Jewish Christians were tempted to desert Christ and to fall away from their public acknowledgement of him. They were tempted severely in that regard. And I think this is a temptation that we've really not experienced in our day. We don't know what it's like so much to have family pressures come upon us because we have owned Christ as the Messiah and King. I don't think we know what it's like so much to face uh, 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 political or government pressure because we've said to a world who has their own Caesars, Lords, and, and whatever. We've said that Christ is Lord. Do you remember in the first century, one of the great challenges for the early Christians was to confess Caesar is Lord. And what did the early church say? No, Christ is Lord. We've not been under that kind of pressure. But what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is this. He is saying to his fellow Jewish Christians, don't base your life or make your decisions on this shaking world order, but rather make your decisions based on the reality that you belong to an eternal kingdom which cannot be shaken. And so when you and I come to make decisions, 
And these decisions, maybe these great life decisions that we have to make at certain epochs in, in our life, in our, in our lives, they may be decisions that we have to make pretty much on a daily basis. They may be decisions that we have to make as to how we're going to order our week or, or, or structure our day. I'm saying to you, make those decisions based on the fact that you belong to an eternal kingdom which cannot be shaken and prioritize everything under that. And so again, when it comes to this very activity of what the eternal kingdom looks like, let us make sure that we prioritize the worship of God over all things, not only in our daily lives, not only in our personal lives, but also again in our lives and what it looks like on the Lord's day and what it looks like by way of our public gathering to worship. Let us make sure again that we are emphasizing these things. And that's why in this book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is, is so oftentimes exhorting and warning and encouraging his fellow believers to stay faithful to Christ. Listen to some of these passages of scripture. And again, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 27. Notice what he says. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For faithful is he that, uh, that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and good works not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now notice this in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, what is this willful sinning? It's this leaving off of Christ and of the public acknowledgement of him. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, let us continue to gather together in the name of Christ publicly to worship this great God who, who has saved us through his son. Again, verse 26, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of judgment, of fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Let's not leave off again our public acknowledgement and our public worship of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, again, going on in verses 35 through 39, Again, the exhortation, the encouragement. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence that has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience after, the, after, after that you have done the will of God. You might receive the promise. You see again the encouragement. You see again the exhortation. You see again the warning. And it's all given because this present order of things shall be shaken. And the only thing that shall remain is that eternal kingdom of Christ. And so again... In this day in which we live, where we see shaking times about us by way of political and, and economic issues that are going on, this day in which we may experience our own personal shaking times, we need to prioritize the kingdom of Christ and the worship of God Almighty. So that brings us now again to leave off the, uh, the nature of these uh, shaking times and now to consider again the nature of this unshakable kingdom. And when we look into this passage of scripture, we're going to see that there are at least three, what I would call attributes of this unshakable kingdom. And the first is this. I want you to consider with me the gracious element of this kingdom. This kingdom, this eternal kingdom is a gracious, is a, is a, is a, is a gracious kingdom. And I say that because notice what we see there in verse 28, where the writer says this, wherefore we receiving a kingdom, you've not earned this kingdom, you've not worked for this kingdom, you've received this kingdom. The kingdom that you are a part of is a kingdom of grace. It is a kingdom that is extended to all by way of an invitation to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you have responded to that. And again, what I want you to know and understand is that above, above everything else, the kingdom that you belong to is a gracious kingdom. 
And that is specific, or I'm sorry, that is significant in light of this passage of Scripture and its context, because what, what, the apostle, uh, what, what the writer does here in this passage is that he contrasts the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. And there's, it's interesting because there's kind of a balance of what we see in verses 18 through 21, and then in verses 22 through 24. There are seven characteristics of both covenants that are laid out. And the purpose is to show, again, that the old covenant did not have anything really of a gracious nature to it. But the new covenant is marked by grace over and over. Notice what we have here in verses 18 through 22. Notice again, uh, in, uh, notice again here in verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that, that burned with fire, nor unto the blackness and darkness of the tempest, and to a sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard and treated that the word should, uh, should not be spoken unto them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much of, as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. Now listen to this in verse 21. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. This old covenant with all of its majesty had a fearfulness to it. This old covenant with all of its majesty had a terror to it. And again, even Moses himself, who was the, again, who was, who was this, uh, who, who spoke with God face to face, even Moses himself again said that he feared and he quaked in the presence of God on that, uh, on that mountain. And that mountain again was Mount Sinai. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying to, to those of us who have come into this eternal kingdom is that you've not come to Mount Sinai, you've come to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is marked by grace. As Sinai was marked by terror, so, uh, so uh, Zion is marked by grace. And, no, and that's why he says here in verses 22 and following, and it's beautiful, notice what we see here. But ye are come unto, the mount, unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh of better things than that of Abel. Everything in this designation of Mount Zion is, is, is designed to show the graciousness, the graciousness of this kingdom into which we have come into. We've not come to, we've not come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. And this Mount Zion is a very gracious mount, we might say. Whereas Sinai marked terror, Zion marks grace. And if you take a look again, you're going to see the other things that mark or characterize this kingdom that we belong to. And the second thing that we see is not only its gracious, not only its gracious uh, nature, but the next thing that we see here is the fact that this, this, this kingdom is a diverse kingdom, yet it's unified in its focus on God and on Christ. Look at what we see here again by way of its, by way of its diversity. It's made up of an innumerable company of angels. Look there in verse 22. And, but ye are come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. This Mount Zion that we are a part of, this eternal kingdom that we are a part of, is a kingdom that is made up again of this innumerable company of angels. And that's going to be significant here in a moment. But also notice what else we have here. We are, we've not only come to this city that has this innumerable company of angels, but we've come again, listen to this designation of the church, it's beautiful, and to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Here again is that which makes up the citizens of this kingdom. And then again, thirdly, into the, into the spirits of just men made perfect. 
Now, what's interesting is that in this designation, what some suggest to us is this, is that the angels obviously represent the angels. Uh, the, the, the church of the firstborn represents those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ in the new covenant. The spirits of just men made perfect would be those of the Old Testament, again, now, now having been taken up in the glory. And so what we see here is we see this diverse body of believers who are part of that great kingdom. Not only, not only that, those of men and women, but of angels as well. And what are they doing? They are all involved in the worship of God Almighty. And so the second characteristic characteristic that we see of this gracious, of this uh, unshakable kingdom is that, again, it is diverse, yet it is one in its focus on the great glory of God. And then, of course, the third attribute that we see is that the primary one, that it remains, it's unshakable. And again, we see this by way of what it says here in verses 27 and 28. Again, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. This kingdom that we belong to is a remaining kingdom. And then again, again, a, a kingdom that, which cannot be moved. And so again, shaking times may tempt the believer to, to leave off the things of God. Shaking times might be a challenge to us. But I want to say to you the very thing that this writer of Hebrews says to those that he writes to. Look there in verse 25. Notice what, what, what the writer says. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. And what I want you to be aware of is this. When you are in the midst of your shaking times, they are testing times, proving times. How many times have we been in very difficult situations and we've made decisions that did not prioritize God or the worship of God? How many times have we been in shaking times when we did not prioritize the truth of the word of God? But we depended upon maybe the wisdom of others, the wisdom of man. And rather than, again, finding ourselves giving first place to God in all things, we've made adjustments here and adjustments there. But do you see what this passage of Scripture says? Look again there at verse 25. See then that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spake from the earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. What's this passage of scripture saying? It's calling us to prioritize, again, everything upon that great fact that we belong to this unshakable kingdom. What, what fools we would be if we prioritize things that are based on this crumbling world order. How short-sighted we would be if we made decisions that had great impact in our life by prioritizing, again, the temporal things over the eternal things that is so inconsistent with what we are called to as the people of God. And so again, this, this kingdom, this unshakable kingdom, it's a gracious kingdom. And it's gracious for a number of reasons. I just want to revisit this a little bit. It's gracious because, most importantly, the, of the mediator of this new covenant, and the new covenant itself is, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. What's the writer referring to here? He's referring to the fact that, look, the old covenant came by way of Moses. The new covenant, which is gracious in its nature. The new covenant whereby you have the law of God stamped upon your heart. The new, the, the new covenant whereby, again, you have the spirit of God dwelling within you. The new covenant. Again, that was sealed for you in the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. What did the blood of Abel speak of? It spoke about vengeance for blood being shed. What does the blood of Christ speak of? It speaks about mercy and grace to those who have sinned. Oh, you see again this eternal kingdom that you are part of. It's a gracious kingdom. And so again, 
this passage of scripture is contrasting the terror of, of, of Mount Sinai with the grace of Mount Zion. And I hope and I pray again that each and every one of us are making our decisions and living in light of what this kingdom is. And that brings me now to the last point. And the last point is the activity of this unshakable kingdom. And even though this is the last point, we might say that this may be, this is the, this is the most important point that we have here. Because what I want you to see is that very specifically, as the writer moves on from a description of what this unshakable kingdom is by way of its gracious nature, by way of its diverse makeup, by way of its unity and what it does in, in, in its worship. And what he does now is he makes a direct application as to what ha is happening in that kingdom. And notice what we have here again in verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us, you see again the exhortation? In a sense, he's coming to the application of a sermon. He's making sure that having processed everything by way of what it means to be a part of this unshakable kingdom, that now we do that which is consistent with being in this unshakable kingdom. And notice what he says. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Very interesting passage of scripture. The ESV translates it like this. Therefore, notice, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Do you see what's happening here? The very specific application of the truth that you are not a member of a shaking kingdom, but you are a member of an unshakable kingdom, is that by way of gratitude, you begin to worship God with reverence and godly fear. Do you understand then that worship is the great application of this passage of scripture? Do you understand then how significant it is that we are called together on the Lord's Day to come into worship? Do you understand how important it is that you prioritize your week around the worship of God? That God might have first place uh, again in your life and particularly first place in its expression on the Lord's Day. All oh, these times of worship you see are so important to us. And again, what I would say to you is this, as we live in a, in a day where we see more and more of the shaking of world kingdoms, as we live in circumstances where we come across these, these circumstances in our life that shake us, let us not leave off the priority of worshiping God. That is specifically the direct application. In a sense, it's not even an application I'm making of the passage. It's the application that the passage of Scripture itself makes. Here we are called again to be engaged in this worship of God. Let's look now at this, uh, at, this, uh, at this concept as we have it here, the activity of, the, uh, of this unshakable kingdom. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace or let us show gratitude whereby we might serve God acceptably. I want to stop there for a moment. And I want you to notice here in this passage of scripture that we have here the whole idea that there is an acceptable worship of God, a worship of God, and there is an unacceptable worship of God. We may not think of that too often, do we? But again, what we see in this passage of Scripture is that the very clear implication is that there is, well, the direct statement of the passage is, is that there is acceptable worship, and the, and the clear implication is that there is unacceptable worship. And it's interesting that we see this in a number of places in Scripture. The Apostle Paul talks about the, the futility of will worship, worshiping God in any way that we would see fit. In the Old Testament, we have specific emphasis on this. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 21 through 24, we read this. God is saying this in regard to the, the worship of, of Judah in that day. 
Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing I commanded them, I commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearken not, nor incline their ear, but walk in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. They were offering worship, but it wasn't acceptable to God. We see this again. We see this again in Isaiah chapter one, verses ten through fifteen. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom, and give ear to the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. This was the designation that God was giving to the people of Israel. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of beasts, and I, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of rams or of he, of he goats. And when ye come to appear before me, who hath required this of your hand that you to tread my courts? Bring me no more vain oblations, incenses, and abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even your solemn meeting. This was unacceptable worship. And so in this passage of scripture, when we are called to engage in the acceptable worship of God, it reminds us again of how important that mediation of our Lord Jesus Christ is. Remember, we saw that early in the passage. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, we come to worship God acceptably through the work of Jesus Christ. And that's the next thing that I want to bring out here. I want you to see and understand that the way that we accept, the way that we worship, the way that we acceptably worship God is through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the ministry of Jesus Christ. It is by the gracious mediation of Christ in the New Testament, sealed to us in his blood. Look at verse 24. Again, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh of better things than that of Abel. How do we worship God acceptably? We do it through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we worship God acceptably? By depending upon his death and his burial and his resurrection, by, by depending upon his atoning work. So the first way that we worship God acceptably is through the mediation of Jesus Christ. The second way that we worship God acceptably, again, is found in this uh, in, at the end of, uh, of verse 28. Notice what we have here. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. It's very interesting that when we look at what's happening here and how the writer is describing worship, we see not only this attitude of reverence and godly fear, but we also see a reference to the joy of the worship of the angels mentioned earlier in that passage. I believe it was uh, uh, it was there in um, in verse uh, in verse twenty three. Where I'm sorry, in verse twenty two, where in your newer translations you have a reference uh, to the worship of the angels. We see this in verse twenty two. This is taken from the NIV. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Now listen to this. And you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So there are three aspects of worship that are brought out in this passage of scripture. Actually, we might say four. One, there is the assembly, the public assembly. Secondly, we see that that is to be a joyous assembly. Our worship is to be marked by joy. But not only is our worship to be marked by joy, it's to be marked by reverence and godly fear. Now let me say this, it is a very challenging thing to bring all these things together in one great expression of worship. But that's why the Spirit of God is given to us, that we might worship God in this way. So that when we gather to worship, let us have all these ideas in front of us. 
Let us make sure that we prioritize the assembling of ourselves to worship God. Yes, we worship God in our private closets, we might say. We worship God again as we're going about our, our, our daily business. But all of this public gathering, you see, this assembling of the people of God, it's part of what God desires. It's part of what that unshakable kingdom is all about. We come together joyously, but our, but our worship is also marked by that reverence and godly fear. No frivolity when we come into the presence of God. No sinful, we might say it this way, no sinful familiarity to think that God is just, you know, you, we've heard the expressions, he's, he's the man upstairs, or he's this, or he's that. No, we, we worship God in reverence, with, with reverence and godly fear. And so again, that's what we see. We worship God acceptably through the mediation of Christ. We worship God, again, with reverence and godly fear, marked by joy. And the last thing that I want you to see here, and this is very important, we worship God based on the reality of who he is. Did you see how the writer finishes up this 12th chapter? For our God is a consuming fire. Now what's interesting is this. All the way through this passage of scripture, the nature of the eternal kingdom that we belong to has been marked by grace. It's a gracious kingdom that we are brought into. It's not Mount Sinai, it's Mount Zion. All the hallmarks of God's grace and mercy are there. But a proper worship of God and a proper understanding of God always reminds us that God is never to be reduced to just one of his attributes, we might say. But God is always to be worshipped in the fullness of his being. And in this passage of scripture that has much by way of grace contrasted over against the old, the, the old covenant, we still see again this stern, solemn reminder that our God is a consuming fire. You've come to worship a holy God this day. Yes, I'm glad that you've come to, to meet with one another and to enjoy one another's company by way of the fellowship of the saints. But primarily, you have come to worship a holy God. And you've done that by way of prioritizing. You've understood again that you belong to an eternal and unshakable kingdom. And what else would you be doing other than worshiping this God on high? And so in this passage of scripture, again, we are reminded of the, of the reality of, of God's holiness. That's why, again, earlier in the passage of Scripture there in verse 25, see that you refuse not him that speaks. It's amazing, isn't it? We have a tendency to think, well, since it's all of grace, I don't have to like be kind of like all worried about this kind of stuff. I don't have to worry too much about, you know, God's, God's you know, uh, you know, God's uh, worshiping God reverently or, 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 or God's holiness. No, that's, that's a misapplication of what we're seeing here. Rather, what we see, if I can say it this way, grace heightens our responsibility to worship God properly. It doesn't lessen it. Grace doesn't mean that we can now be sloppy in our approach to God. Grace doesn't now mean that we can now just say, well, I can worship God any way that I want. That's, 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 that's disastrous because there is an unacceptable worship of God. And the way that God has revealed in his word is the acceptable way of worship. Yes, we worship God with rejoicing. We worship God with joy, but also with reverence and godly fear. I think this idea of, of God making himself known even in these pages that have much to do by way of his grace and God reminding us that he is a consuming fire one of the things that we have to remember is that God always delights to make himself known by way of his mercy and grace. I think of that great passage of scripture in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. You remember Moses desires to see God. 
Moses desires to, Moses desire, desires to know God better. And when God makes himself known to Moses, I find it so encouraging that he makes himself known to Moses by way of his grace and mercy. Listen, listen to the passage, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now God is proclaiming his own name. And notice what he says. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in and goodness and truth. Isn't that beautiful? Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. Isn't that beautiful that God makes himself known in that way? But none of that, again, precludes us or allows us to, to forget the, the, the complementary truth that our God is a consuming fire. So when we come to worship and we do it with reverence and awe because of the one of whom we are in the presence of. And so again, in these shaking times, you need to remember that you are a member of the unshakable kingdom and that the primary focus of that unshakable kingdom is to worship this God who is a consuming fire, to worship him through the mediation of Jesus Christ, to worship him with joy, to worship him with reverence and with awe. That's what we see this passage of Scripture saying. There are a couple of observations, however, that I want to make just in closing here. And the first thing that I want to say by way of, a, by way of an observation is this. These shaking times, and I've mentioned this at least twice already in the sermon, but I want you to hear this. These shaking times may involve and may include times of personal trial and personal tragedy. That's what really shakes us, isn't it? It's one thing when we hear the news and it kind of unsettles us and we see the things going on in the world, but let a loved one come into some type of tragedy. Let some, some, some great disaster befall you. These are shaking times. But I want you to hear again what the passage of Scripture says. Don't let these shaking times move you away from your primary calling in life, which is to worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The same thing, the, the next thing that I would say to you is this. The shaking times will undoubtedly refer, will undoubtedly refer to uh, the times of political shaking. There is a sense in which everything that we see in the scripture that forecasts and promises and prophesies of the coming kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ are all involved in these ideas of shaking. So when Isaiah speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, when Peter speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, when in the book of Revelation we read in a new heaven and earth, those are shaking times. And those shaking times are brought about by God in order to establish that eternal kingdom of Christ, which, by the way, you are a member of. Do you understand in a very real way, if I can, if I can maybe ask you to frame your mind this way? So here you are in this great interval between the first and second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this great interval before, between the first and second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know what the end will be. You know that Christ will rule and reign on the earth. And I ask you a challenging question. Will you, will I, will we allow this crumbling world system to knock us off or to cause us to prioritize things that have no reference to the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ? Of course we would not do that. So in the coming year, should we hear that the economic system has com completely collapsed. Should we hear that the, that the world orders turned completely on its head? Should we understand and find out that we have entered into a third world war 
remind yourself that while the kingdoms of this world are shaking and being shaken by God, you belong to an unshakable kingdom. Frame your mind. Plan your life along those lines. Another observation is this. Notice how the grace heightens and not lessens our responsibility to gather for worship. As I said before, this is the direct exhortation of the text. The text specifically goes there. This is not an implication that I'm drawing from the text. The text is clear. Notice again verse 28. Wherefore we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, or let us be let us express gratitude, that whereby we may serve, whereby we may worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You would be offended to you would be offended at me if I said that your failure to come to gather on the day of worship it would be a mark of ingratitude. You would be offended at that, but I would not be far off the mark. And as a matter of fact, I might be hitting the nail on the head when I said that. When I say that, you must understand our worship of God is to be prioritized. We know things come up that challenge us. What I'm asking you to do, what I'm calling you to do, is let's make these decisions in the moment that reflect this eternal kingdom that we belong to. And so again, when other, when other priorities uh, seem to impose upon us and, and, and seem to restrict or, or make difficult our coming to worship, remember it is short-sighted. It's even an expression of ingratitude to place shaking priorities over the worship of God. This is a challenging word from Scripture, isn't it? But here again, we see it there clearly on the page. And the last thing that I would ask you to note with me, and I find this very interesting and, and it's something that we must not lose sight of, note that grace does not do away with the need to be warned and exhorted not to forsake the unshakable kingdom of Christ for a shaking, not to, not to forsake the, the unshakable kingdom of Christ for a shaking and crumbling world. Haven't you noticed that in this passage of scripture? I, I, I would suggest to you that many of us, when we read verses 22 and following, but you're come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, which speaks of better things than that of Abel. We think we're, we're, we're good to go. We got it. We're, we're, we're locked up. Good to go. But that's not where the writer stops, is it? He makes a direct application. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. The reality of grace is not inconsistent with the warnings that we see in this passage of Scripture. And may we then, in light of all that we see here, understand that God has called us to this unshakable kingdom and this unshakable kingdom has certain characteristics. And let us make sure that as we live out life, as we live out this coming year of 2024, that we prioritize the things that we see here in this text of Scripture. Well, let us pray. Our Father, our God, we do thank you for this kingdom that we've been called to, this Mount Zion, this heavenly Jerusalem, that we are members of the church of the firstborn, having all the privileges and status of a firstborn son, we thank you for the mediation of our Lord Jesus Christ and for that new covenant of which he is the mediator. We thank you for his blood that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. How many things we have here, Father, to rejoice in and to, and to, and to be so happy in our souls about. And yet, Father, what we also see here is this.
that we as members and citizens of this great eternal unshakable kingdom, that there are things that are to mark us. And we ask and we pray, Lord God, that in this coming year, we would use this passage of scripture to prioritize your worship above all things. Give us grace in this, we pray. Fill us with your spirit. Aid us, we pray, Lord God, by, by each and every one of us, calling one another uh, to good works and the holiness. And may we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in this coming year. What this year holds for us, Father, you know, and we don't. But what we do know is this, Lord God, you have made us citizens of this unshakable kingdom. And now, Lord God, may we live in light of that and worship you joyously with reverence and godly fear. And we pray this in Jesus' name.